maybe stand to your feet if you can. Tim Whitaker from the New Evangelicals. Will you do that for me, Tim? The creator and founder of the New Evangelicals, not a social media influencer. Experience this morning, jeez. Tell us about that. Too. No, that's all I, I, I gotta say for now. We can jump right into that. Whatever you. Hey, you're the one leading this, so I'm following your lead here. No, I think that's a good place to start. Um, you haven't been in church like this in this kind of like formal capacity. You've attended a couple of conferences for two years. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, I haven't been in a church that looks evangelical but is affirming and inclusive. You know, this whole presentation I grew up with, and I've even been in a few churches to visit for some other work, but not with like the foundation of we're all these things. So it's, it's a weird combination to sing songs that I at one point was drumming with, but had, um, you know, there were, um, like, there were restrictions to what unconditional love meant or what it meant, you know, when you're standing in the grace of God. So it's a, a lot of interesting emotions all in one to think about a place that is singing those songs but actually means it all the way. And it's not like contingent on things. So that's interesting. Kudos to you guys. Really, kudos to you. Um, so let's start there. Let's start back a couple of years ago. And you're a faithful, you know, you, you said, I think yesterday we were talking that when you are a volunteer in something, you are all in. So you're all in at a church. And what happens? Well, I mean, yeah, I've been in church my whole life. I mean, I was homeschooled for nine years and um, went to a hymns-only church as a child. And then um, very kind of, it's so hard to know the audience makeup, but I grew up in a very, like, like John MacArthur type of teaching, you know. So inerrancy of scripture, um, predestination, a lot of wrath of God stuff. And my, my parents were, I mean, my parents are amazing people. They raised us really well. They weren't harmful or abusive or anything like that at all. They just got saved later on in life, and this is what they found. And just, you know, okay, well, this is what it means to be a Christian. So we'll just raise our kids in that. Um, and um, when I was 11, we got a new pastor in this small, non-denominational, you know, Baptist church. And he was like, oh, you know, instead of just doing hymns only, maybe we should do some of these, like, more modern praise choruses, um, like Shout to the Lord or something like that at the time. That was and, a banger. Oh, a real banger. Yeah. And, the, you know, this is the air I breathe and all of those, Woo. power of your love. And so um, my dad, who was a rock and roller before he converted, right, he kind of gave up that worldly lifestyle, so to speak. Uh, that's what he was taught to do. Um, he said, well, I, I play guitar, and, you know, this is great. And I, at some point, they wanted to get a drummer in there. But, you know, you got to think hymns only church, super conservative. And so my dad was like, well, who's going to yell at an 11-year-old kid? trying to play drums. I mean, you can't get mad over that. So I became the drummer. Like, just it just kind of happened. And they uh, they bought me a, a drum set, like, for the church. And it was some no-name brand, you know, cheapo. But it said radical on the front of, like, the bass drum head. So my dad duct taped it. He's like, well, we don't want to offend people, so we're going to duct tape over that. So, I mean, so I, I really cut my teeth playing in church as a drummer. And anyway, you know, long story short, yeah, fully immersed in the evangelical thing that I'm not sure for all of you, but I know a lot of people who are here who follow my work probably grew up in. Um, so I, I made a commitment to Jesus like early on, you know, and it was a real one. It was like devout. I wanted to serve Jesus. I wanted to follow Jesus. I wanted to do this thing. 
And I was kind of always the good kid. You know, I'm the firstborn, so never really rebelled, never got into lifestyles or, you know, that were like harmful according to evangelicalism. Like I mean, either. Right. Yeah, right. It's very similar. It's like you. Yeah. Yeah, we're very similar in that. Yeah, totally, totally. So, yeah, so I was a full-time, I call myself a full-time volunteer because I never got into full-time ministry in a paid position because a lot of my theology changed even when I was younger. I was like 18. But, um, yeah, I was serving at church for six years before I started this work. And, you know, I'm, there's just so much to unpack. I'm not sure where you want to start. But essentially, my church eventually gave me the ultimatum, you know, of either stop what I'm doing online or stop what I'm doing with them as a drummer. And so I shook the pastor's hand and just kind of never looked back. And what were, yeah. Don't get any ideas. I'll Just be like, no, I'm not I'll talk to you it. about it. Yeah. <laughs> so what were you doing online? What did they find so offensive? Um, man, essentially, you know, when I started the New Evangelicals, it was a lot of questions. I mean, I was still kind of, it's hard to explain, but I was on a path for a long time. And then eventually with TNE and the political climate between Trump and the Black Lives Matter movement and watching my tradition increasingly, in my opinion, being on the wrong side of so many of those issues, um, I the dam kind of finally broke during the pandemic when I'm watching Sean Foyt, you know, in in these worship spaces publicly, like, we're not going to wear a mask, and good, you know, we want to worship, and I'm, I'm a worship drummer, like, I'm embedded in that world, it's my identity, I'm playing every day, I'm, we're doing high production like this, and everything, and I'm like, this seems like a really unchristian response during a global pandemic. Like, it wasn't a political thing at all. It was just logical. Like, if we're going to love our neighbor, you know, and we don't know how this thing operates and we don't know how contagious it is. I mean, at one point, we were wiping down our packages. We just didn't know. And that, I mean, yeah, well, it makes sense. Like, why would we not be extra cautious? Like, when people die, they die. They don't come back, you know? Unless you go to Bethel, I think, sometimes people believe that. I don't know. A fire tunnel or something. Can I curse on stage? Probably not. I, I can't oh, that's only Jamie G's allowed to custom right, stage. Yeah, I, I she has a pass. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I, that's when I got the idea in October of, like, 2020. I was like, we just need a new evangelical movement. And that's how I got the name. So I started the account in December, and we just asked me a lot of questions. You know, I wasn't even fully affirming it. I was on the path, but, like, I was still wrestling with the theology of it. And my heart was there, but I had these verses in the back of my head that would kind of pop up. Like, no, you can't believe that because these three or four verses. So I'm like navigating all that. And, you know, my church just felt my senior pastor who, to be fair, is I think a good man and like, you know, served his church faithfully, no scandals, wasn't embezzling money, just doing what he was taught to do. You know, it just told me like, Hey, I can't have someone on the stage playing music who is saying things online that go against like what the church might teach. I was like, okay, like, Hey, if that's, if that's what it is, I get it. But at that point, the work that we were doing, the, the DMs we were getting, the messages, I was like, people need help. I need help too. Like I was, it wasn't, it's really important to mention that in my mind, it was never about me trying to help people. It was me looking for other people to process with. Like that's the difference. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I have these answers. I had no answers. I just had a lot of questions and I was just kind of willing to explore them. And so it was a lot of that, you know, like, hey, let's talk about this topic. And then people would DM me, then I would share those messages anonymously on our Instagram stories. And that was the cycle. So when he gave me the ultimatum, on one hand, it was very difficult. I knew, I knew what it meant. You know, I could still attend. I could still tithe, of course. You know, I could probably do parking lot greeting or some kind of shit like that. But, oh, sorry. Where's your swear jar? <laughs> 
My bad, Dan. I'm sorry. Um, Are the children out? Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry, kids. I, I'm, I'm so sorry. Some um, of those parents were charging a thousand apiece. You're going to want their money back. Um, but I knew I had to do it. Like, I just knew we had something. We weren't a nonprofit. I wasn't doing that work full time. I just said something is happening. We have to go with it. But I knew it was a death sentence relationally, and it was. I mean, within a couple months, like, you know, all those relationships evaporated. But, yeah, that's what I've been doing ever since. So I really haven't been a part of, like, a church or serving or drumming in this space in, you know, quite a long time. So what, what when, you, when people started to, um, if, you, if you don't know this, Tim's a new evangelical podcast, and you're not the only one that does it, but the majority of the time you're hosting it just reached a million downloads. Unbelievable. Yeah. And, and when you first started, I told you last night, I, I was being, um, I was being maybe too transparent, but I, I thought last night, I, I said, when you first started it, I wasn't an early, early adopter, but I was pretty early to just following what you were doing because you were saying a lot of things. I was like, yes, yes, yes. But in my mind, maybe based on my own experience, I was sure. like, this is going nowhere. Mm. Because you were saying the things that needed to be said, but there is an entire system out there that is designed to crush anything that is perceived as dissent. Um, yeah. And it's not dissent, it's just simply unanswered questions and an intellectually honest process to find some potential answers to those questions. And and I thought this isn't going to work, but it, it clearly is working and has worked. And I know that you ha- have a nonprofit, and we don't have to go through the chronological order of how that's all happened. But we've what what really motivates you to continue doing this work? Is it the DMs? Is it the stories? Like, what makes you get up in the morning and and gets you passionate about what the New Evangelicals is doing? Well, you know, I am really rich because of this work. So the, all the money that pours in is so motivating. <laughs> just kidding. Um, it's, I mean, it's the beginning of the work was just people. It was like, oh, like, you get to think, I'm a straight white man. The system is designed to work for me. Um, I never had serious church hurt. The, the, the most church hurt I've ever had to this day was me losing my community, which honestly is pretty tame to all the stories I hear because my pastor shook my hand. I could tell he was torn up about it. Like it wasn't, we hate you. It was, we love you, but we're doing the best that we can with what we know. I can, okay. I mean, it was painful for sure, putting back in therapy, all that stuff, but it wasn't like, I would call it an adverse church experience. I would not call it trauma. There are people who I've talked to, I've met, who have legitimate traumatic church experience, right? So when you're hearing these stories from closeted queer people or from women, and they're just telling you stories that you know, make your jaw drop, you're like, oh my God, this, I, I had no idea, you know, because I didn't have eyes to see it because the system was designed to work for me. You know, I mean, even, even egalitarian churches, most of them still have a man leading. You know, so, and that's not, you know, there's a lot of nuance to that. And there's, I get it's complicated, but like, even in those spaces, women tend to still be not like the ones really driving the ship if they want to. Right. So again, like it just, that's just how it is right now. So I would say the people and the stories were really motivating in the beginning of like, oh, we have a problem. And what a lot of people don't know is that even before I started this work, I've always been someone who's been like, why are we? I've always found evangelical church, I wouldn't use this language then, but problematic. 
I mean, even when I was still fully embedded in it, you know, I took a, a long, a, a three-month mission trip overseas to Germany, Belgium, and Finland. And when we were in Belgium, I was working with a church there. Well, I found out while in Finland that the church I was going to met in bars around the city of Brussels. And I'm like, I told my, my friend who brought me, I'm like, dude, they meet in bars. Like, that's not a church. There's alcohol there. That doesn't work out. And I was, I just didn't have any framework for what church could be beyond whatever I knew. So when I went and I'm meeting this church and they met in small groups around the city of Brussels weekly. And then once a quarter would come together for their all church meeting and their youth group was ran by teenagers and had like just some oversight. I'm like, whoa, this is different. And then the guy I'm working with gave me this book by this guy named Frank Viola. Okay. And he wrote a book called Pagan Christianity. And his book is essentially claiming like, hey, the majority of our modern church practices come from pagan culture. So I'm 18. And think about this, right? Evangelicalism is primed to radicalize you. So I'm 18. I want to be countercultural. I want to be different than everyone else. I want to take my faith super seriously. And I'm reading Shane Claiborne's Irresistible Revolution, which is already kind of like, oh, a social gospel. Interesting. I'm listening to people like for those of you who know, Paul Washer, who's like a deep cut reformed, like fire and brimstone guy, who's like, are you really a Christian? And I'm like, am I really a Christian? And then I'm reading Rob Bell all at the same time. And then I get this book, Pagan Christianity. And he's like, the, the stage thing, pagan culture, not biblical. Most churches for 300 years met in houses. The, the lights, not biblical. The orator, not biblical. Paid clergy, not biblical. I'm like, oh my gosh. I rebuke that part. <laughs> I don't know. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like not biblical. So for a long time, I've had my wrestling through evangelical church, even though I was a part of it. You're always wrestling, like, is this what it's about ultimately, right? Like is, is, and these are questions we ask now. Where in a church, where should money go? Like, is it wrong to have this kind of equipment? I like it as a professional drummer, but is that the call of the gospel? So I've been asking those questions for a long time. So, you know, it, it, it wasn't that hard eventually to kind of like have the damn break and be like, oh, you know, there are deeper problems that I haven't even seen on top of all this. It was a very natural, you know, um, trajectory for me. So, yeah, I would say the people, and now I would say it's the people in realizing that, like, white evangelicalism in particular in America is not only, in my opinion, largely on the wrong side of a lot of the major cultural issues of our day, but they're also fueling the push, like the legality of that being enshrined. So I'm very motivated to kind of, you know, do whatever we can to swing the bat and try and change that while fully realizing that historically things like what we're doing uh, usually get squashed. I mean, this is just history. You know, the evangelical psyche is incredibly powerful. They haven't always been this way. There's a lot of history we can get into. But I'm like, well, if I'm alive now, I might as well swing the bat as hard as I freaking can, you know. Thank you. I got you. Um, freaking Ken to try and let people know that not all Christians, you know, are trying to destroy the rights of their trans neighbor, you know, or that not all Christians think that Christian supremacy needs to be ruling over the nation. So I just feel that it's your obligation now to, to help be part of that as well. So I, I couldn't help like the questions you were asking that, you know, led you down a path. Like oftentimes the motivation for those questions is challenged in the evangelical church at a high level. So we're, we're, normally labeled if you've asked too many questions as rebellious or you are uh you know you are just stirring up trouble you are a goat you know uh, or a a wolf even um all of these things so what 
from your lips to God's ears, what was your motivation with all of the questions that eventually ended up making you decide between continuing to serve in the church and continuing with your path, what you were doing online, et cetera, et cetera? Like, what, what motivated you? I want to be a good Christian. That's all. And it's not complicated. I mean, my tradition taught me to ask the questions I'm asking now. You know, how many times I've heard a pastor, don't take my word for it, study it for yourself. I did. <laughs> oh, you came to a different conclusion? You're out. Okay, that's not my problem. I mean, to me, this is truly not that complicated, right? Like, from day one, I wanted to be a faithful Jesus follower. I prayed all the dangerous prayers. Lord, have your way. Take away anything that isn't you. Okay, well, here I am. You know, like, I'm just saying, like, it, it's, it's very easy to flip the script and say, you taught me this, I'm doing it, and now you're mad at me. And that's not my problem to manage anymore, right? Like, it's just not. So I know, again, like, this, this online exvangelical. He doesn't pause for applause. I don't know if you noticed that. He doesn't pause. I appreciate it, and, but you don't need to You need to be in his class. He'll teach you timing, okay? He's a, he's a comedian, and he oh, taught me timing. The no, no, only time I have is on that drum set over there, you know, so... <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, I mean, these are, to me, not complicated things. I know people in the deconstruction, evangelical space go in all different directions. But from the very beginning, from the beginning of my life to now, it's all been about how can I be a, more, a better faithful Jesus follower. So that's the work I'm doing now. I agree completely. That's great. I, you know, it is that simple. I think it is that simple. We're, we're trying, and I know what we're trying to do here, we connect with people the same. We're simply just trying to... Uh, we see the the harm and the brokenness, and we go, we're not just okay with continuing to do the same thing. And so, what what has, is that now looking like for TNE? What are you guys ultimately trying to accomplish, either in the nation or amongst the people that follow you online? Like, what are we what are we trying? What's the plan of effect, if you will? Oh, Marxism everywhere. Yeah. You know, so the, the, the deep state global agenda is what we're trying to recognize here in America. You know that. Socialism, you know. That's the agenda. <laughs> the agenda. There's about 35% of the people here that have the agenda. <laughs> well, you all won't share copies. We can't find it anywhere, but we know there's an agenda. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we're a nonprofit. We're not a church. And we're very clear about that. I don't want to be a church. The board that oversees me in the organization does not want to be a church. We are a nonprofit organization. We do three things. We hold space for folks marginalized by the church. We advocate for accountability inside the church. And we help people explore faith beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. So for so us... say that again. All three? Yes, please. We, we advocate... We hold space for folks marginalized by the evangelical church, which is a very wide, you know, label. We advocate for accountability inside the church... And then we help people explore the Christian tradition beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. That's what we do. Doesn't that sound demonic? <laughs> but we want universal health care, so I know we're way far gone, you know, to advocate for such crazy things in the world's richest country. But, yeah. So um, what, what is your plans kind of going forward? I know you were sharing some of them with me, but... I'll do a terrible job butchering them, and they want to hear you. So what, what's the plans going forward? What are you guys pushing for? I think, you know, I've been thinking a lot about, well, what's our role in the larger networking and push for, you know, we call it, a, we say a better way forward. It's kind of like the tagline that we use a lot. Um, and I think for us, it's really thinking about the content that we're doing online. How do we reach more ears and eyeballs? And then also, how do we build spaces digitally where people can find themselves 
that give them something, but also, and Erin's here, she's from our board. We've argued about this before with the whole board over my view of what community is online versus like this that you just can't replicate online. So we're trying to navigate some of that. But the next big evolution for us is really thinking about how do we become a better like content house where we can amplify other voices, credible voices of people who are really knowledgeable, but maybe don't have time to work social media well? How do we get their voices out to the larger world? Because there are a lot of amazing people who are really well thought and well read and who are super academic, who have great things to say, but they'll post it on their social media channel and do like maybe 100 views. It's like, well, why don't we put it through our system and format it for that so people know about Christian nationalism or they know about fundamentalism or they know that, hey, you can be a Christian and fully inclusive. In fact, maybe that's a better way in your faith, right? But the social media world is so dominated by, like, this evangelical apologetics industry and now this far-right media industry. So we, we kind of want to become the antidote to some of that, saying not all Christians, and actually there are a lot of credible well-thought voices that have things to say. So that's kind of our next step that we're kind of working through and fundraising for and all the stuff that goes along with trying to make such an audacious vision a reality. And you you don't have to share with who, but you have a big meeting coming up. Yes. That could potentially... It could. Yeah, it could. It, it, running a nonprofit is something I've never done, so I'm learning the ropes on the fly, and, you know, there's a lot of letters to it, so we're doing what we can. Um, and... You attend some of these, I'm not quite sure how to, you've attended um, Turning Point USA stuff. I'll be back there in December. Um, tickets already bought. America First. America Fest. Fest, sorry. But also America First. Truly. America Fest. Why do you go to these spaces that you know um, they necessarily aren't excited to see you? Uh, well, there's a couple layers to that. One is that when I first started this work, and I was just waking up to my own privilege and just, like, things I just had no eyes for, right? It's a very, like, whoa, this is, what do I do with this, right? I can't control how I was born or what my body looks like or where I was born. And so for a long time, I was wrestling with, like, what do I do with this privilege I've been given and I want to use it well? And I was talking to a friend of mine who's, you know, she's a, a black woman. We were close friends. And she, I was telling her how I was feeling. And she's like, just use your, your privilege for good. Like, just use it for good and, like, help make the change that you want to see. I'm like, oh, well, I could definitely do that. That I can definitely do, you know? So part of it is because I am what I call Theobro passing, which means that I can look like and talk like and assimilate into that world and speak the language because I grew up there. And I think if we're going to really change things, some people have to be willing to go into those places to have those conversations, to say, you know, just so you know, the people that I work with, are incredibly damaged by the rhetoric that you're espousing. Like, I know people who have been really impacted by this. And so I think that's part of it. And the last part of it is just educating myself. Like, okay, what are, what's the culture that makes people really be so okay with such dehumanizing language on the, uh, on the platform, you know? What is it that they're attracted to? Because one problem I do see is if, if we start demonizing the other, we become a fundamentalist all over again. Right? Like, fundamentalism thrives on that. It thrives on, like, this boundary set of the other, and they're the enemy. They have to be destroyed. And certainly there are moments in life where we have to take hard stands, of course. We all understand that. But if we're going to change people, I mean, I certainly wasn't converted into a better way by being called names and, you know, being called hateful. It was folks who held space for me and, like, asked me questions and challenged my thoughts that planted seeds that took time to water. So that's why I go into those spaces, and I've developed quite a few relationships with some of them, and 
it's interesting, and I don't know how to navigate it all the times. I don't want to get too friendly, but also they're human beings. And sometimes you find out that you like the same band, or like the same food, or have other common experiences that aren't Christian nationalists in nature. And you're like, well, what do I do with this? Like, now we're both humans. So if I can help them lower the temperature even by one degree, that's a win. So that's why I do it. Yeah. Um, something that I respect about you. One thing that I respect about you, thank you, um, is the way that you handle um, people that are positioning themselves as an enemy of yours, which I know has happened many, many times. Which means you've arrived. Um, I think last week Mark Driscoll, the former pastor of Mars Hill, um, referred to the new evangelical apostate, and here he is in I, flesh. I, I slept right? so well that night. I was like, <laughs> I've arrived. <laughs> That's my dream. I love it's my dream. No, it's my dream. I, I only get that locally. Open. I can't get it nationally yet. I was like, Mark, thank you. But I'm honored. The way you deal, because my nature is like, I want to go to war because I get angry. Um, right, church? Um, and I'm dealing with that through my own therapy that I've, I'm patenting. But anyways, the... Just don't sell it as deconstruction, okay? <laughs> You're going to get a lot of trouble if you do that. What? Will you, will you share with us your, first of all, your tenets around not dehumanizing, which you talk a lot about online, the others, and also how you approach conversations with people who, frankly, have said some really nasty things about you and have dehumanized you? Okay, one caveat to this is that my approach to this is not for everyone. Again, white, cis male, it's just a different kind of thing. I don't get death threats like some of my right. other friends in this space get. You know, I have folks who are I have folks who are BIPOC who will say I can't even engage in that space of the, of the hate I get. I get that. So this is not a uh, what works for me works for everyone else. There's nuance to that. Um, yeah, I mean, from the beginning, I'm very pragmatic in how I think about things. Like, what what actually makes the change that we want to see? And I also so claim the way of Jesus. Like, the Sermon on the Mount is incredibly important to how I live my life. So, what does it mean to love our enemies? I don't really know all the time. But I knew one of them, one of the tenets was that we couldn't belittle people for who they are. I mean, there are people in our private Facebook group, right? We've, we've told people who have called Trump the little orange man. We said, no, you can't do that. You can't do it. You got to change it. Like, it, it violates our policy of non-dehumanization. And I think the reason why I'm so emphatically strong about that, and so is the team. Like, everyone who works with me is on the same page, you know. And we, they've worked with me to kind of develop language around it. The reason why it's important is because, in my opinion, dehumanization puts us on the path to violence, right? Even if it's in the very beginning stages. Like, you keep walking down that path, and you're going to lead somewhere violent at some point. You know, when you start calling people demons or start making fun of someone's attributes that they can't control, you know, or, or how they talk, whatever it is. You, you just What you're saying is that you're less human than I am, you know? And I think the question is, are we going to take, as Christians, the every life made in the Imago Dei? Is that a serious charge for us? Even when it's people who sometimes might even forfeit that image, right? Say, well, I'm going to use my image to dominate over others. And again, you know, it, there's always nuance to that, and we have to take hard stands at times, of course. But I think we can do it in non-dehumanizing ways. One way to think about it is that I tell people, um, people are not crappy, but sometimes their ideas are crappy. And you can certainly critique the idea and not the person, right? So even Mark Driscoll, like, um, we've called him out many times, but not we, 
you know, don't use, like, vulgarity to call him out, or we don't make fun of, you know, whatever it is. It's like a serious critique of, like, Mark, the language you're using is dehumanizing, and it's going to lead somewhere real antichrist, ultimately, right? So, like, what path are you actually on? And I just don't want to join that path. Yeah. So, and this is important because uh, I, I understand the nuance of where people are when it comes to, you know, not being in the same position as you, but even relationally amongst um, a family member or a loved one that you don't have a good relationship with anymore, I think what you have tried to teach your community is is powerful, which is you oftentimes will reach out to them with a voice note so they can hear your tone of your voice and say, hey, I'm not looking to nail you to the wall or anything else, but I just want to kind of see where you're coming from. Can you kind of explain what, what your normal is with that? You mean folks that, like, I would normally disagree with strongly? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it just depends on the person. It, man, it's so contextual because sometimes you get videos where it's like, okay, this seems to be responded to publicly because it's a public video. Um, and then there are times where I'll see someone, I'm like, I should just DM them an audio message, you know, and just see, like, yo, what's up? You know, let's chat for a minute privately. So I think the way I frame it on our, like, our channels is that, and this is this gets messy because on one hand we want to be an organization in a place that has a posture of hey so and so like there's a better way forward and like we're inviting you into that like we're actually inviting you to repent from your dehumanization to turn and go the other way right and embrace like a, a more loving and inclusive way forward that celebrates the diversity of people and like wants to learn from other people who aren't like you you're welcome to do that but then there's also this other side where our space is has become like this refuge for people who have been so beat up by those voices and by the rhetoric and by the church structures, right? So what happens when you have that dynamic? So we try and carve out some spaces that we tell people, hey, if you're in this space, we prioritize these voices. You know, you have to be okay with that. But also the work that I do publicly or the work that I do on the podcast might be a little bit bigger than where maybe you're at. And you don't have to listen. I would never force you to listen to a conversation I have with, like, Russell Johnson, right? I have talked to a couple days ago. He's a guy over in, in the Northwest doing some work that I strongly disagree with. But I had a YouTube live with him. But that's not for everyone to watch. So we try and balance those spaces as much as we can. But, again, conversation, that has to be the way forward, at least to some degree, you know, uh, especially with folks who seem reasonable. What time is it? I can't see. 11.22. Oh, we, we maybe have about another 10 minutes. That's good. Cool. I might take a question or two, but one of the things that's really been um, important to me is I, I want you to just, if you can, publicly tell the folks who your favorite podcast guest has been so far. And you won't embarrass, you won't embarrass me. It, it's okay. Um, 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 no, for real. Real podcast guest. Yeah, favorite? for real. We're like, we're 200 episodes in, man. It's hard to know. There's been many, many great Has guests. Has any of them really shined? Yeah, any of them really shined. Super articulate? No, they're all, no, no. None no, of them? No, no. No one comes to mind, to be honest. Yeah, no one really stands out from the crowd. No, like, no Paul Rudd lookalikes or anything like that? Definitely not. Okay. No, not all right. That's the... I'm not coming back here, am I? <laughs> we haven't written any checks to the New Evangelicals yet. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. Um, let's let's do a couple questions. Um, yeah, I would love I that'd that. That'd be great. Because um, I think I, I kind of have my perspective, but I want to hear maybe a couple questions. Do we have any questions? Raise your hand, stand up, shout them out. 
Yes. Um, it's really, it's complicated because being in environments like this, and we were at, I was at an event last week, uh, last month to theology beer camp, you know, a trip forward and doing some stuff there. They had like a communion thing where someone led worship. And so this, when I hear spiritual, I think of like what I always known and it's very hard to in, embrace the emotional side of that for me. Like there's a wall I still have that says, you're not going to get me this time. Like I refuse to let my emotions, I refuse to acknowledge them in these moments because I was in a space like this for so long that I thought was safe and I thought was good and thought I was included and thought that they were inclusive. And it turns out it wasn't the case, right? So when I see this again, I celebrate for people who can embrace it. I think I'm getting there, but I'm still like, no, can't do that. For me, where I'm at is very much head, head knowledge more than heart at this point. And that can, that will change for sure. I'm just kind of like, you know, in that circle. For me, spiritually, the work I've done has shown me just how massive this house of Christian thought is and how much there is to explore, right? Like, I'm totally in explorer mode at this point. Like, oh, never knew this was a thing that was Christian or that this was a thing that was Christian or that this view in the Bible is Christian. Well, let's talk to all these people because I was below ground for so long. And just tell that this is all there is, this like kind of moldy, stinky basement, right? And that the stairs lead to this like desert wasteland. And eventually it got so stinky and it got so bad, I had to walk up, I, I had to take my chances. And it turns out I was in this huge house. So I'm kind of mad. Like, I, I thought I was like the Christian Christian for like 30 something years. You're telling me there's different ways to view hell? What the hell? You know, like, are you kidding me? So I think for me, I'm very much in, the, in that space, in that space uh, right now, just kind of exploring. That's great. And I know it changes, right? Oh, totally. And the freedom of the fluidity of our journey, the faith journey, is, I think, a hallmark of this post-evangelical movement or whatever you want to call it, new evangelical Yeah, movement. in a weird way, I feel like I found true freedom in Christ. Does that make sense? Where it's like real. Like I'm not, like once you lose the belief, once you lose the finality and objective truth of eternal conscious torment, you realize that like this has been debated for a long time. There's a lot of ways to view it. Things don't get so life or death. You're right. Like, okay, well, if I have the wrong view on this, it's not the end of the world. Right. So I can have a different motivation than just trying not to burn alive forever. So I think that's such a core thing to undo to kind of get everywhere else. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. Do it. Yes. Aaron, go ahead. Yeah, sure. Uh, hell is one of the probably, I mean, there were a lot of years where I would drive home at night, Christian, evangelical, and be like, what if I'm wrong? And I have like this panic attack feeling and like, you know, 
finality of life and like what if one day my consciousness is just tormented forever like that is scary and i think for a lot of people who start i call it renegotiating faith you can call it deconstruction doesn't matter but the hardest one to to like to figure out is that and because when you're five years old and you're taught at age five like this is as real as gravity is right that's a hard pathway to pave over it takes a lot of time and your head can get there way before your heart or like the subconscious part of you can. For me, and everyone's so different, it took me a lot of years and a lot of listening to other voices from people that I trusted as experts about the Bible to help me understand that, For we talked about this last night, right, how there are four different words in the scriptures that all get translated to hell. Gehenna, Tartarus, Sheol, Hades. All with very different meanings, like very different meanings. Gehenna being a literal place, with you know, people debate that, but that's one way to look at it. You have Hades, which is like Greek, myth- Greek mythology. Sheol just means the pit, but in our Bible, we read hell. So that was the beginning of like, oh, because, you know, the Bible is always the highest authority you're taught. So you have to kind of start with like renegotiating what the Bible is and how you view it and how you navigate that. So for me, I had to start there. And once I realized that, that A, it's been debated throughout the life of Christian faith, some of the earliest church fathers were universal reconciliationists. And then, of course, the scriptures that we have now, they get translated by men who I'm going to assume mean well and are doing the best that they can, but they translate these words to hell. Oh, maybe it's more complicated than if I don't pray this prayer, one day I'm just going to roast forever. You know, again, that takes time. It's hard to rethink those pathways, but if you keep going, you can get there. And when you do, it's like quite liberating. And then you think, Wow, I can't believe I believed that for so long, which is weird for even me to say because I had those panic attacks. I had those anxieties of what if I'm wrong. But that was kind of the journey for me. By a show of hands, how many people still deal on a regular basis with the fear of ending up in hell? Just This is a safe place. Awesome. Well, that's something we need to address some more. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. awesome. Okay, Um, not awesome, but it's good to know. Uh, It was a weird, yeah. All right, awkward. Okay, let's do two more questions. We'll do you guys, and then in the back, and KK, you can ask him after service, okay? Hey, Bruce. Um, most proud of the people that I've met. The podcast. I'm not coming back. No, <laughs> I mean, I think I'm just most proud that um, we just haven't, there's a lot to be proud of. I'm most proud that we've met, we have an amazing team. We have an amazing board. We have amazing volunteers that have like owned this with me. And that's really nice. Like people that really care, like want to do things ethically. I'm really proud of that. I think I'm just, I'm honestly most shocked by the success. I just cannot believe it. I really can't. You can ask anyone that I work with. I'm just like, we're doing this. I cannot freaking believe we're doing it. I mean, I, I, it just blows me away. You know, the fact that I'm here, that I'm, I'm, I travel for this job or this work, and that, you know, people actually donate monthly. People, you know, I was at an event last month, and a woman comes over to me in her 50s and just starts crying. And it's like, your podcast has helped me. And I'm like, me? It makes me feel awkward, honestly. It's like, it's uncomfortable. And it's also a huge responsibility. Right, because these are people, and I'm one of them, who had their trust broken, and they're willing to go back out on a limb 
to trust an organization run by a white man, like, that's a huge responsibility. And in my head, I'm like, you cannot F this up. Like, you cannot, which being a type six on the Enneagram is really easy to have that fear, which kind of keeps me on the straight and narrow, you know, but like, man, there's a lot of weightiness to what we're doing too. And that's, I mean, that is, that's a real, it's a responsibility that we have to own and be as ethical about as possible. We'll do one more. Is that Harvey in the back? Yes, Harvey. Yeah, come forward, Harvey, because we can't hear you. Are you asking, do I do, do, do people who are on the fringes of, like, Anabaptists? That's what you said? Sure. Yeah, we'll play it again. As ex-Amish and ex-Mennonite, um, do you ever deal with people that are kind of like on the fringes? Because they don't even like the evangelicals. And so now as an openly gay man with a partner, and I've got 17 grandkids and five kids, they're all like... We don't like that you're gay, but we realize it's not your choice. What they don't like is that I'm a Christian and gay. They would rather I were not be a Christian. So when I come to a place like this and hear you talk, I hear you talk a lot about the evangelicals and the charismatics and Bethel and all those people. They kind of can accept them, but it makes a big, big line. So my goal is kind of like I'm an ordinary person. I love Jesus. And I happen to be gay. I want to, quote, normalize that. How do you address those? Um, how do I address? You're asking, like, how I address people who would have a problem with, like, gay Christians? Is that kind of, yeah, gotcha. Glad we're finishing with a real softball question. <laughs> have at it. <laughs> so, it's, I mean, I'm pretty, I get DMs sometimes about, like, this kind of question, you know. And it depends on who's asking. There's a lot of ways to, I guess, address it. But one of the things I tell people a lot is like, um, and I mean, I guess we'll just go here, but one of my, my arguments is like, listen, you know, Bob Jones in the 1960s was emphatically clear that anyone who did not support segregation was a radical liberal who didn't take the Bible seriously. Yeah. I mean, in 2001, they overturned their policy on interracial dating. Okay. Because the Bible was clear. And I don't think a lot of people, and I talk about evangelicals, that, that's my tradition. This exists beyond the evangelical framework, of course. You, know, you can find it in Catholicism and other movements, for sure. But this is my tradition, so this is what I know. Um, they don't realize that they're just doing the same thing again. Like, there is this pattern in American evangelical history of the Bible's clear, the Bible's clear, so slavery, so segregation, so women. You know, it, it is a complete weaponization. And what is frustrating to me is that these same people today, they'll look back at Bob Jones and go, well, he didn't, he didn't understand the Bible. I'm like, well, why do you think you do then? Like, what's your, what's your standard of proof, right? And then even if you did, like, let's just say I'm talking to someone who's like, hey, I have this conviction about these six verses. Is there any room for people to see them differently? And can we make room for that? We do in evangelicalism over all kinds of things. So why this issue? Because it's linked to a larger culture war issue. You know, it, it is. And this is just, this is unfortunately for our tradition, white evangelicalism is historically usually the last ones to get on board. And they go kicking and screaming and they go trying to make the laws and they go trying to make the propaganda. I mean, all you got to do is read one 
tiny sliver. Read about Jerry Falwell, who started his political agenda not because of abortion, but because he wanted to maintain segregation. That's what got him radicalized. The abortion narrative of why people got involved in the moral majority, that's a myth. Okay, and this is not this is not liberal propaganda. This is like well researched. There's documents supporting this. But, uh, uh, Jerry Falwell wrote a sermon called "Brown versus Board of Education," which, okay, and he was saying, "Who do you dis- who do you trust?" And he writes in this sermon, "If the justices knew about like the Bible and what God wanted, they would have never made that decision." That's what he writes in one of his sermons. That's what got him politically active. So this is just the foundation that, whether you like it or not, is underneath of us. And so we have to own it, and then we have an obligation to repent, and then we have an obligation to fight where that manifests, but insert black person for queer person. It's the same system. Now, the impact can be different. Of course, we don't, we don't, we don't want to conflate the two. They're very different marginalizations, all right, completely. But it's the same Bible being weaponized the same way, just with inserting different people groups that always tends to make white people the ones on top. Like, it's so interesting how this Bible always supports the white evangelical political talking point. And anyone who stands against them is just of Satan. Like, at some point you start seeing the pattern. KK, you want to ask your question? We'll finish with that. Of course. I'll be here as long as you want. Yeah, we will. I will. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, my. The two questions. The second one's stupid. But the first one is... The first one... It was kind of stupid, like that podcast question you asked me earlier. It's kind of like that. I'm from Jersey, man. We just dish it out. (laughs) Yeah. You know why New Yorkers are so depressed? Because the light at the end of the tunnel is Jersey. (laughs) Loud and proud, baby. (laughs) And I will roast every one of you that clapped. I've got it in me. It's waiting to come out. The question was, have you adopted any new faith practices since you've been on this journey? Like she said, I was taught to read the Bible, do your devotions, et cetera, et cetera. So how has your faith practices changed over time? And the second one was, who's your favorite follower that you engage with on a regular basis? Uh, The first question, honestly, is no. I've only lost them, and I'm fine with that. Like I'm so fine with that. That could always change, right? We're all in flux. Again, it's never say never, so I'm sure at some point I'll find some other spiritual practices that, you know, I, I find myself doing. But for such a long time, the devotion thing was so guilted into me. The make sure you do this, make sure you pray. If you're not sharing your faith, are you really a Christian? So for the past couple of years, I'm just like, eh, it's fine. Plus, now at this point with my work, I'm so, my day job, for lack of a better term, is so like this. It's these conversations. It's reading these books. So a lot of that just kind of happens naturally now. But no, I honestly have no new spiritual practices, and I'm totally okay with that. And then um, regarding who I DM a lot. I mean, people, there's a couple people here I talk to probably daily in the DMs, and I love that. It's honestly one of my favorite parts of the day is checking DMs and responding to people. I love doing it. Yes. Sure. And then we'll make our closing statements. cross has been 
I mean, idolizing Christianity, it is, we talk about it, we sing about it, we wear it, we tattoo it on our bodies, the whole thing. Um, so I'm wondering, like, have you thought about research? Did it have to be the cross, like physically the cross that we see and know of? Or was it a sign of just the time and the, the way they killed people at the time? Like, because it's such a fixture in Christianity. And oftentimes it feels weird to me to idolize a torture mechanism. Mm, that's good. Yeah, well, let me just preface by saying I'm not a theologian. I have no degree in theology. And too many people don't tell people that. They pretend that they're experts. So I'm certainly not yeah, an expert I have no idea what you're talking about. on any of that. Oh, did I? Another? I, that was not intentional, I promise. Yeah, sure. But I, I, I just like being clear of, like, where my boundaries are, which is why, I, honestly, which is why I podcast, right? And talk to actual scholars and theologians so I can ask the same question to you. You know... <laughs> Closer. Right. We're getting closer. <laughs> My, you know, that's a good question. I haven't really thought about it a whole lot, but I think that um, Jesus was born in a time and place, you know, and I think one way I look at it now is it just represents the violence of the empire. And then uh, Trip Fuller, who I'm not sure if you all know, he's a great and just mind-blowing theologian. He gave a sermon recently that we posted, and he was like, as Christians, are we bearing crosses or are we building crosses? I was like, dang, dang, you know, uh, wow, that's a great question. So I think that the cross represents the violence of empire, right? And the fact that God incarnate was murdered by that device. So then where do we as Christians in our moment and under our empire, you know, are we participating in that cycle of violence or are we the ones partnered with or maybe underneath, right? Those devices that were de- designed to kill, seek and destroy. As far as the symbolism of the cross, you know, it's just kind of one of those things that is beyond my control of, like, how iconic it is. I much prefer an empty tomb for symbolism, you know. Um, and I think there's something beautiful about resurrection for sure. But, yeah, I think the cross is powerful as a reminder, I think, for the Christian of which side of this am I on? Am I with Jesus being murdered by the empire and, dis- and dismantling violence through nonviolence resistance? Or am I the one building the cross and mocking the person who was too weak and was, you know, not manly enough, wasn't an alpha male enough, you know, to overthrow his enemies. And that should make us think about the current state of evangelical culture and what they're all focused on right now and how upside down it is. It's awesome. You guys enjoy that? We'll do this. Um, what we'll do is, is I want to give you guys an opportunity to, to sow and to give in to the new evangelicals if you feel led. I know we've already received an offering. But we're going to receive, and whatever we get, we'll probably end up adding to in addition to it from the church. But I want to give you guys an opportunity to sow into what they're doing. You can also support what they're doing on a monthly basis. Um, you'll probably never get a church in America that will encourage their congregation to support somebody else on a monthly basis. But I trust you guys, and, um, and I believe that the work that they're doing is that important. And so just consider it in your own life. Uh, even if it's $5 a month or $15 a month, it makes a difference. They have 500 monthly supporters, so they have a lot of people giving a little, and that seems to has, has been working and making a difference. That being said, their hope is to double that in the next couple of years to be completely self-sufficient and to have to be able to hire the people that they need to continue to move forward and grow. Uh, I can tell you Tim, uh, Tim lives very, um, very frugally. He, he, him and his wife um, have made a decision to live that way, and, 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 and they, they, the New Evangelicals obviously is their source of income, and he works uh, in 
as a musician on the side. But what they do and what they accomplish um, is amazing, and he, he is not getting rich. Uh, not that we would have any problem with that, but he's not. And he really has done this out of the goodness of his heart because he believes that somebody needs to say something and do something and create a space for people. So what you're going to give today, we're going to ask his board to earmark for him and his wife and family. Um, and um, that's our, going to be our request of them. So if you are willing to give, it'll go to Tim and what they're doing. It'll funnel through the nonprofit and in full transparency um, and, and support what him and his wife are doing and their family is sacrificing collectively. So um, y'all, y'all into that? Is that all right? So we'll do it this way. Um, if you want to give with the giving kiosk, you can just select missions over there. Uh, we'll know that today's stuff um, after this time period, we'll mark the timestamp is actually going towards uh, Tim and what they're doing with the New, Evangel- New Evangelicals. If you're um, doing a text to give, you can put missions. Is it the number first and then missions? Yeah, the number first. So if you do like 50 and then missions, then that will go um, to that category. If you're giving cash, uh, you guys can probably just bring it up here and lay it at the feet of the man of God. Um, so just kidding. But y'all can bring it up here. And, um, and if you're writing a checkout, you can make it out to Harvest. I'm like a walking trigger, aren't I? Just a walking I am triggered trigger. by that whole I know. thing. Jesus. He's like, no, no. Um, um, yeah, so I think most people are giving with their text to give, and that's great. You can give over there, and we appreciate you doing that. I'll give you just a second to do that, and then we'll close today. And I'll ask Tim one last question. Can I add one final thought on the evangelical thing? That yeah, but let them give because I want them to listen. Oh, oh my bad. Okay, yeah. Yes. It's awkward, though. Like, I'm trying to feel no, it's not time, awkward. Bro. All right. You just got to sit. You got to feel the support coming your way. I know it's bad. Yeah, I stand up here every week and I'm like, give us your money. It's, How about it's I play fine. a drum solo to kind of yeah, you you know, lighten the mood a little bit? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. If you're giving cash, you guys can bring it up here. Um, or your checks, you can bring it here. Thank you for doing that. you guys appreciate it thank you go ahead add your add your part sometimes people freak out when they hear the term evangelical you know why the new evangelicals i think that's really fair um and i think you hinted kind of at that a little bit too earlier and the reason why is um i'm kind of like you in the sense of i'm a fighter naturally and i i I like to be kind of counterculture but frankly the word evangelical just means someone who brings good news and we don't think that evangelicals are bringing good news right now, right? And I think also, I know a lot of us associate evangelicalism with fundamentalism and with, you know, a lot of hate. And, you know, there's, there's all the ias, right? The homophobia and the misogyny and the race and all that. And that's legit. That's real. But some of the early evangelicals in America through the Wesleyan tradition were abolitionists, were the first colleges ever to ordain women. Like, they were doing some really social justice oriented stuff. There's amazing stories there. So I think that no one has to own the term evangelical at all. It's all up to you. But for us, it's like, we're trying to reclaim it because I don't want fundamentalists like to, to think that they can just have that title and like get away with the nonsense that they're doing. So that's why we actually had the name. That's kind of the behind it. It's, I know for some people it can be very triggering and I totally get why, but there's also something beautiful about dead things coming back to life, right? It's part of our faith. So anyway, we'll see what happens long-term, but that's why we were named the New Evangelicals. Y'all, will you give Tim a hand? Will you do that for me? (laughs) 
we appreciate it so much. Um, well, let's do this again. I, I would love to, y'all just stay standing because we'll pray. Um, I, I would love to, in the next year, plan a date for 2024 where we bring in three or four different people that have uh, different perspectives like Tim does and maybe have a weekend event where we're just um, just listening and gleaning and learning and asking questions because I think it's only going to help us all on our journey of exploring but also healing. So I hope you all enjoyed this today and it was good for, for you. You can follow um, New Evangelicals on, on Instagram and the social media stuff and um, we appreciate you for being here. Let's pray together. Can we do that? Mom, you want to pray? Also, a big happy birthday to Aaron. Twenty-nine, right? All right. You always were my favorite. Jesus, Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for Tim. We thank you for um, the fight, the good fight of faith that he is waging in his own spirit and, and leading some people, including us, Lord, as we fight our good fight. And you said that if we seek and if we knock and if we ask, that it will be opened. And so, Lord, as a body of believers, we just continue together to knock and ask and know that we know nothing and you know everything. And so we seek your face, your wisdom, knowledge, so we can live like you and be you to this world. So bless Tim, Lord, bless all the work that uh, he is doing and provide miraculously for every need for he and his wife and family in Jesus name. Everybody said, amen. amen.